Every day we make thousands of decisions. Have you ever considered how each of your decisions may impact your mental health and money? In this episode, I chat with Nika Kabiri, a decision scientist who shares her story of overcoming mental health struggles and taking back her agency through the power of her decisions and choices. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. This is your host, Melanie Lockhart. My journey with money and mental health started in 2012 when I was depressed and anxious about my student loan debt. In 2013, I started my blog, Dear Debt, which chronicled my debt payoff journey and changed my life. I later published my book of the same name about how I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. It was my time blogging that showed me that I wasn't alone in my mental health struggles around money and that my own mental health impacted how I related to money. My mission now is to help others feel less alone and tackle these difficult topics. As a disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional, and all content on the show should not be considered professional medical or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. If you are in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much for being here, and if you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform, and feel free to share episodes on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart. I would love to hear from you. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Nika Kabiri, who has spent over two decades studying how people make decisions in various contexts, from business to politics to relationships. She teaches decision science at the University of Washington and is the co-author of the best-selling book, Money Off the Table, Decision Science and the Secret to Smarter Investing. She's also been featured in Business Insider, Yahoo News, Fast Company, and more. Nika has a PhD in sociology from the University of Washington, where her academic focus was on choice theory and decision-making within constraints. She also has a JD from the University of Texas, and you can learn more about Nika at yournextdecision.com. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. This is going to be such an interesting discussion because you have such a unique background, and also you have quite a fascinating story of how you got into decision science that happens to relate to mental health. And because this is the Mental Health and Wealth Show, I was like, I want to talk to you about your story. Right. Let our listeners know like how you got into decision science and what led you there as it relates to your mental health. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, I always like to tell my personal story and then there's obviously the professional story because decision science isn't something you sort of pick up in therapy. <laughs> but um, my personal story just pretty much starts with, you know, being in, in my 20s and struggling quite a bit with various mental health issues. Um, you know, I was just plagued with depression, anxiety. I had panic attacks. None of it really made a lot of sense to me. I didn't understand what was happening. And I sought therapy, sought psychiatric help with medication, and none of it really worked. And it seemed like the more that I sort of um, handed my agency over to my medical professionals, the less, I mean, I was just not getting better. I was getting stuck. I wasn't getting worse. I was just feeling like I was on this path. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you were trying these traditional 
treatments and, you know, you were trying to get support and it just wasn't working. Is that what I'm hearing? It wasn't working for me. And that's not to say it doesn't work for everyone, but I suspect it probably doesn't work for more people than than we would want to believe, I guess, but it was not working for me. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that really turned it around for me was waking up one morning and I just kind of, it just had this epiphany, like, if I keep going this route, my path is locked into, I'm not going to, I'm never going to be a successful professional. I'm never going to have a great life. I'm never going to have successful relationships. I need to make a choice. And that was when I started on my personal journey of trying to understand how, how I could make the right choices to pull myself out of where I was. Um, And it's really just kind of amazing how just deciding to decide can change everything for you. Yeah. You have so much agency to, to do that, you know? We have more agency than we think. And I think it also just starts with evaluating our options. Sometimes we don't think we have agency because we don't see the options. And sometimes we don't see the options because we're not thinking about options. We're just thinking about making it through day to day, which a lot of people who suffer from depression do, but you know, there are options. And that leads me to the, you know, the part of my professional journey was when I went to graduate school, I was fortunate enough to study in a department, a sociology department with experts in rational choice theory, which is really the, um, the application of economic principles of choice theory to sociological phenomenon. And that's when my real, my interest in decision-making became more, more of a rigorous scientific study as opposed to just trying to make my way through life with, you know, better decisions. And so that sort of embarked me on that professional on that professional career. I love that your story really starts with the personal and then moves into this kind of professional modality that has really helped you. And I think your story is so important because we have seen that traditional modalities like therapy and medication, which I'm a huge advocate for, don't work for everyone. And, you know, I've looked at the studies that say, you know, there's treatment resistant depression certain medication and and, and therapy does not have the same outcome for certain people. And so we have to understand that while this is one option for people and definitely can be recommended if you're in a severe situation and you should try different things that work for you, but it's important to recognize that not everything does work. And so, you know, you found this decision theory that felt more empowering, gave you more agency. And what ways did looking at your choices help you with your mental health? And how did you get started with kind of making those little shifts? Yeah. And little shifts is absolutely right. They were little shifts. And a lot of it was taking a kind of embracing a mindset of experimentation as opposed to, you know, striving for any particular outcome and, and feeling um, disappointed by not getting it. It was just a lot of it's trial and error, but it really started with, it's really kind of interesting because the first decision I made was what I like to call the decision you make before you make your decision, which is, it's the decision to be physically healthy. It's like, if you're not physically healthy, you aren't capable of making the right choices. You are compromised in making the right choices. So my first step was, you know, recognizing I wasn't sleeping well, recognizing I was not eating at all, recognizing that I was a heavy smoker and, you know, I was in drinking alcohol and I just changed all that. I just committed myself to getting the right sleep, starting to exercise, eating very healthy, like being very clean in my diet, 
quit smoking cold turkey, I quit drinking. I became vegan for a while. I mean, I kind of went in the other direction, but um, and it became really hardcore with all of it. But the, the bottom line is, I put myself in a position where I could sort of I could exercise that agency a little bit better. And so that's sort of where it all starts. And it's not easy to be depressed and force yourself to go for a run. It's not easy, but it's way easier to do that than it is to struggle for, you know, years more with the same issues. But that was the first step, really. And then from there, obviously, able to make other things. Yeah. Yeah. I love all the different experimentation that you did. You know, you were like, oh, maybe I should get more sleep. Maybe I should eat better. Maybe I should stop smoking and drinking. Because I think for so many of us, we are kind of on autopilot and we just think that our mental health is this problem, but we're not really looking at the inputs as it relates to our media consumption, as it relates to our diet, as it relates to our drinking. We just think, oh, like this is just something that's happening. But when we choose to experiment and try different things, then we can realize, oh, wow, I am feeling much better about my mental health when I get eight or nine hours of sleep. Or, you know, actually, when I cut back on drinking or sugar, I actually do feel more stable and less kind of this crash and burn type mood. And I think it can be difficult to make those changes because especially when you're depressed, it's easy to comfort eat. It's Mm -hmm. easy to comfort drink. It's Mm -hmm. easy to escape. And I've definitely been there myself. Like I'm, you know, now trying on sobriety full time in 2022 and have been sober curious for about a year and a half now, because about two years ago before the pandemic, I was drinking a lot and I just realized it was not serving my mental health. And every time I would drink, I would feel shame. I would feel guilt. I would feel awful the next day. And I think once we acknowledge the relationship between physical health and mental health, like so much opens up for us because if your physical health is not well, like let's say you have even just a basic cold. I know when I have a basic cold, suddenly I feel sad because I can't really move at the same pace. I don't have the same energy to work, you know, and it definitely impacts my mood. And then you know, if you are depressed, you conversely also don't really want to move. You you kind of have that, you know, that feeling of, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to move. But when you take those little steps to have your mental health and physical health work in your favor, you can essentially create kind of this positive feedback loop through your actions that support your mental health. And that sounds like, you know, what you did. Absolutely. Yes. And yeah, I just have to add there that I was desperate. <laughs> like I was part of my depression was um I was just preoccupied with suicidal ideation. I um was I was I felt like I was facing the abyss, like I was going to die. And so when you're when they say, you know, you really turn things around when you hit rock bottom, I think there's something to be said about that. I think there's also something to be said about the fact that rock bottom can keep going and going and going much further than you think it can sometimes, but but yeah, I think it was it was really that that moment of kind of desperation of oh my gosh, like I'm going to die if I keep going down this route. This medication is making things worse. Um, therapy is not helping. Nothing is helping. I need to do something. I need to. And of course, the next the next thought that came to my head after I have to do something was I have to make a choice because what is this thing that I have to do? 
And it's not just so much that it is, it is absolutely true. Everything you say that your physical wellness impacts your mental wellness. I think the connection that really hit it home for me was the way in which your physical wellness impacts your actual decision-making. Because as you make poor decisions, each poor decision you make creates for you a set of poorer options the next time you have to make a decision. And those poor options just set you up for making another bad decision because you choose among a set of poor options. You can't really make a great choice. And then you, you know, that which sets you up for another future set of bad decisions because you are bad options, which lead to another bad decision. And it's just kind of this, you know, snowball rolling down the hill. It's a domino effect. So, um, and I don't think we, what I didn't appreciate early on, but what I appreciated later was that the, a lot of the reason why I was so depressed was because I was making choices that created circumstances in my life that I just wasn't able to cope with. And once I was able to make different choices, like, um, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to date that loser. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go out with that guy or, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or I'm not going to spend a ton of money on this thing that will leave me broke. I'm not going to make those choices. Then the next round of decisions that I had started to look better because my options were better. And my depression just got better because I was less to be depressed about. And again, this isn't necessarily going to be true for everyone, but I think for more people than than we even realize it's really a lot of it is it's just making the right choices to get you to a better set of options to pull you out of whatever dark place you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story and thank you for letting us know, you know, how far into the abyss you were and that you were desperate because sometimes when you get to that place, you're desperate to try anything that will make you continue to live and find any kind of happiness at all, any kind of movement towards the other side of the spectrum, rather than I want to die, I feel suicidal. And Mm -hmm. I've definitely been there. And there's this beautiful quote by Elizabeth Gilbert, which I'm probably going to butcher, but the gist of it is, nobody makes any big changes in their life unless they finally get sick of their own bullshit. (laughs) And that's a quote that I love because I think sometimes we have to get to that place where you're just like, I'm sick of my own bullshit mm-hmm. and I have to do something differently because clearly whatever I'm doing is not working. And, you know, you created this connection in your mind between your choices and your circumstances and your feelings around what was happening. And like, oh, maybe this guy isn't right for me. Maybe this food isn't right for me. Maybe, you know, I shouldn't be spending money when it's hurting me financially. So, how did you finally start to connect the dots between, oh, it's my choices and decisions that can positively impact my mental health? And and how did you kind of get started with that? Yeah, when I noticed it, it, it was working, just quite frankly, when I noticed that these little incremental changes I was making was um, they were working for me. Uh, I My depression, it didn't disappear overnight by any means. I still had some very, very dark moments after that, but things got a lot better and I was able to accomplish things that I couldn't before. I and I was in law school at the time when I really hit rock bottom and I was I was not even sure if I could finish, not sure what was going to happen to me. And then when I made these little incremental changes, changed my diet, made better choices, changed my friends, <laughs> changed the things, the places that I would frequent even, <laughs> just these little things. Um 
I was able to concentrate on school. I was able to finish law school. And, and that sense of accomplishment is kind of a reward. It was sort of this feedback that I was getting for the decision that I made, like, okay, this, this is kind of working for you. So let's keep doing that. And of course, it wasn't until I went to graduate school and I learned the concept of feedback and, and how feedback can lead you on a different path in your decisions that I realized that that, that was sort of what was happening. It was just, yeah, it just wore out to be true that it worked. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I love that it sounds like you completely changed your environment from down to where you went to who you hung out with. And I think that can be very difficult for people. But like you said, it's a great thing to experiment with just to see if, yeah, it makes a difference because our environment has an impact on our mental health, whether it's where we live, who we hang out with, the places we go to. You know, that's why I don't really go to bars anymore because it's not a great place for my mental health. And so, you know, just having that awareness is so crucial. Exactly. I think, I think one thing that really I struggled with in therapy was just how much the therapy industry, in my experience, has um, emphasizes you as an individual and and how um, how you're responsible for where you end up or how you're responsible for being where you are or um, or what have you. And I think as a sociologist, what I felt was missing in all of that was just how much your social context has a very important role in where you end up and, you know, the choices you make that, that lead you to where you end up. So I think we don't really think about changing our social environment enough when we're down and out. We don't think about new friendships, you know, and I, we don't think about new places. We don't think about new jobs or, um, just switching things up when our social environments aren't really are bringing us down um, or just not helping lift us up. So I think that's the sociologist in me that tends to 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 believe that our social connections can be very destructive and our social connections can be very healing. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I love that unique perspective because yeah, your community where you live all of that is so important. And for anyone listening who may be feeling depressed or anxious, I ask you to interrogate, are you depressed or anxious or do you hate your job or do you hate where you live or are you no longer satisfied in your relationship? I mean, these are some big questions and sometimes depression is masquerading because of, oh, my relationship is failing or I actually don't like where I live or my job is, you know, soul sucking. And I think sometimes if we're able to have the courage to answer honestly and and change those circumstances, our mental health can change as well. Absolutely. I just this morning sent um, a wrote and sent a letter to my subscribers, which I do every week about exactly this, about how we tend to blame ourselves for our, our own unhappiness a lot. Like we tend to blame ourselves because we can't make it work in a bad situation. Like, why can't I make it work in this bad relationship? Why can't I make it work in this bad job? Why can't I, you know, I'm not really feeling valued in the situation that I'm in. And why can't I just be okay with it or compartmentalize that? Or why am I letting it affect my own sense of self-worth? And it, it's just such a hard struggle to, to detach your sense of, um, oh, I don't know, your your responsibility uh, 
it's hard to detach your sense of self from the rest of the world because we are social creatures and that's where we get our feedback, our input, uh, the rest of the world, other people, they're what makes us feel valued or makes us feel special. And if you're not feeling valued and special or positive or uplifted by the environment that you're, that you're in, maybe you can change that environment. Maybe you can't. Some of us are very constrained and we're kind of stuck where we are, but at at a minimum um, to blame yourself for not being okay with it or not being able to cope better with it. It's just really harsh, I think. Yeah, definitely. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. I wanted you to pause real quick and take a mindful minute. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. And exhale. Take a deep breath again. and exhale. Taking a moment for yourself is so important for your mental health. Now, before we get back to the show, I just wanted to say, if you are enjoying this episode, please review the podcast and share it on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart and share your thoughts. It'll really help spread the word about the show and help others with their money and mental health. You can also support this independent podcast and buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lagert. For listeners out there who may be suffering with their mental health and maybe traditional treatment hasn't been working for them, or maybe they're hesitant to try that route first, what tips do you have for them to start making decisions that can impact their mental health in a positive way? Like I said, the first step is to make those decisions before you make those decisions, to set yourself up for um, solid decision-making by sleeping well, as well as you can. I mean, some of us are parents and we are under a lot of stress and it's really hard, but sleep as well as you can. And if you can't recognize that you're going, your decision-making is going to be compromised, um, eat well as much as you can. And if you can't recognize your decision making is going to be compromised, just, just realize how all these different things affect your choice making. Um, and the reason why physical health is so important is because without that, you're more likely to be impulsive. You're more likely to um, not evaluate risk properly. You're more likely to revert to habitual behavior as opposed to doing something that might be new and better. Um, so that's the first that's the first step. And the second is just to really educate yourself as much as possible on, you know, the principles of behavioral economics, basically just, you know, what are all the basic human biases we have? Like even something as simple as confirmation bias, which is this tendency to um, process and absorb and accept information that aligns with what you already believe and reject information that doesn't align with what you believe. If you know that you have a tendency to do this, because we all do, then being exposed to new information that can actually give you insight into being better might might be more possible. Um, you can, you know, employ different brain hacks to overcome that. Another big one is delay discounting. We, you know, some people more than others have a tendency to value short-term rewards more than long-term rewards. And it's kind of this, um, you know, there's this tendency to to do that, get that quick fix versus that, you know, wait for that, be patient for that long-term benefit. Um, if you know that you're a human being and a human beings tend to do this, 
then you can hack your brain. You can find your own little tricks to offset those short-term impulses. Like for example, um, if you know that you have a problem with alcohol in far, as far as dealing with anxiety, you can create some sort of a, a punishment or disincentive to to drinking that might make your short-term reward not seem like such a reward. So, I mean, these are just little examples and I have more tips on my website. Um, I also do personal consulting and my hope is that more people really understand what decision-making is about because I really believe that's the key to um, not only just better mental health, but a better world. So, you know, you're talking about the importance of decision-making and, Every single day, we're making tons of decisions about what we're wearing, what we're eating, say yes or no to this project. Should we go out? Should we not go out? You know, the amount of decisions are just dizzying. And, you know, obviously there are some bigger decisions than others. You know, Mm -hmm. should I take this job or not? Should I break up with this person or not? Should I move across the country or not? And for those big life decisions that can have big impact on one's mental health, Sometimes, you know, with a decision, there's a certain outcome. It might be, quote, good or, quote, bad. How can people move on if they felt they didn't make the, quote, right decision with something and it turned out, quote, bad? And I say, quote, because I personally don't think that there are necessarily good or bad things that happen, just things that happen. And we tend to project those feelings onto it. Um, So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, um, I think I have a similar perspective as you do. Uh, I think too often we feel like we have more control over the outcomes of our decisions than we actually do. We kind of forget that there are a ton of variables, um, a ton of things out there, things that are happening, circumstances that are going on around us that we don't have control over that are very likely to impact the outcomes of our decisions. COVID is a great example of that. I mean, there are a lot of people who made certain choices, um, starting a new business, starting a new restaurant before COVID hit. And then, well, was that a bad decision? Not really, because they didn't know. But, you know, we tend to have this, I don't know, our brains tend to trick us into thinking that we've always known. Uh, We always could know, we should have known, we could have known. And that's what hindsight bias is all about. The information you have now is not the information you had then. So it kind of it kind of allows you to cut yourself some slack. Um, you're not all powerful. You can't control it all. All you can do is give yourself the best chance. And even then, there's no guarantee. So if things don't turn out well, the way to recover from that is to really understand why that it didn't turn out well. And part of understanding that is being objective about the causes and That means allowing yourself the slack to realize that whatever role you played, it's it's a fraction of the outcome that really kind of objectively understanding the impact your decision realistically had on the outcome, um, being able to do that is, it can get you very far. What I wanted to say about that is, I think it's important for us to really just consider things that happen data points and not necessarily ascribe our feelings to them or morality to them. Like this is quote good, or this is bad, or, you know, this is just a data point. Maybe it didn't work out, but what does that tell you that maybe you don't like this certain thing, or maybe you don't want to do this in the future, or, 
you know, how can you just use this as a neutral data point to move forward and try to live the life that you want and become healthy? What you're describing, the the mindset that you're describing is a very closely, um, it very well illustrates the way that I think about an experimental approach to decision making, which is that, yes, there is no right or wrong, good or bad. Judging yourself for a decision that didn't turn out okay is just a form of labeling and labeling can shape the way that you perceive your own identity, which can then lead to poor decision making. So if you think, oh gosh, I can't make really good decisions or I really messed up, that could actually compromise your ability to make better decisions in the future in a biased way. So I do exactly do what you what you what you recommend or what you believe, which is if things however things turn out when you make your choices, good or bad, that's just information. It's feedback right? If if things work out great, okay, that's information for you to take in, to process and to use and leverage when you make your next choice. If things don't work out great, that's information. It's just objective information. I think our tendency as human beings to place meaning on everything is very hard to resist. We're very much meaning makers. We want to make sure that we understand the why behind everything and that we put you know, a lot of, um, we we create stories for the causes of things, but sometimes there's really no meaning. There's just things turn out the way they did. Um, what did you learn? Move on. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. So you also work with companies on consumer behavior. And so what tips would you offer consumers from a mental standpoint when making purchasing decisions? Oh, that's a great question. I think what consumers, um, I wish more consumers were aware of is how much time, energy, and money businesses spend to understand how they think and how to influence the choices they make. So consumers are, even as consumers think they're making very rational choices, they are likely not not because we are all irrational people, although we are, (laughs) Um, but because businesses are invested in pushing or nudging us to employ biases or mental shortcuts so that we can buy what they're selling. Or businesses are trying to, um, I don't know, appeal to our sense of identity to get us to love their brand. They're using all sorts of tricks. And And sometimes it's okay because sometimes you really do want that laptop or that TV or that whatever it is, and you really do want to buy the best one. And without their nudging, you may not. But sometimes it may not be the best decision for you to to be influenced in that way, to be influenced to do what they want you to do. So the more you understand the way that your brain can be biased, the way that you might be impulsive, the way that you can be emotional and actually being mindful of the fact that we are all predisposed to being under the influence, the better armed you can be or vigilant you can be against making bad purchase decisions. That's so great. Thanks so much for sharing that. And yeah, I think it's important to be aware as a consumer, you know, the way marketing can affect us, the way social media can affect us, the way advertising can affect us. I mean, there's so many different ways for us to be influenced. And it just seems like 
it's incessantly in our face these days with social media, the algorithm, billboards, everywhere we look, Mm -hmm. we're bombarded with ads and marketing. And so just to kind of understand the impact that some of that can have. And, you know, we've had people on the show who've talked about going into debt because they, you know, spent a lot of money pandemic buying on Instagram and no shame with that, but just understanding kind of how that happens or how that works and kind of taking that next step further of being like, how can I not be at the mercy of this type of manipulation in a way? Right, right. And there's a lot of shame in that. There's a lot of shame in being in debt. There's a lot of shame in overextending yourself or spending too much on your credit card. But but like every other decision you make, some of it has to do with you and some of it has to do with your context. So blaming yourself completely for being um, influenced by the marketing geniuses that are out there is a little harsh. But then again, blaming the marketing geniuses completely is also not realistic. Being very objective and and getting the right information so that you really know where you went wrong and how to prevent that from happening again, but also or also where you were unfairly influenced and preventing that from happening again is really a more healthy, balanced way, I think, of of managing bad decision making or you know, quote unquote, <laughs> quote unquote bad decision making, whatever that means. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. So my last question is, you know, we first connected through a piece I was writing for Business Insider on prospect theory. And it was so great to um, hear your amazing perspective on what that is. But it's something that I hadn't known much about until I was assigned this article. And so I'm curious, what is prospect theory? And I'd love our listeners to understand what that is. And we'll link to that article that I wrote as well. Can you share what it is and how it impacts the way people manage their money and finances? Yeah, yeah. So prospect theory is really, um, it really just kind of answers a question, a specific type of question in decision making, which is if you are presented with options that each have a, a, a risk assigned to them, a probability assigned to them, um, how do people generally decide? So this is very different than deciding between options where the outcomes are certain. The example I like to give in my classroom um, when I teach this is if you put a lint chocolate in front of me, 100% certainty I will eat it and 100% certainty I will enjoy it because that's just how I roll. Um, I can't help myself. It's just going to happen. But other things aren't so certain. Some things we, um, we know nothing about. We have no certainty about certain things in the future, but some things we can guess the likelihood of. Like there are probabilities we can put around certain outcomes, um, you know, what the likelihoods are that certain things will happen. And that's where prospect theory comes in. So really, basically what it it does, it's got, you know, just a set of principles or a set of research findings, basically, that explain how we behave under prospect theory. And one is, is that people want a sure thing, that when there's a risk of gaining something in, you know, more than you have, you're less likely to want to take that risk than you are to hang on to what we what you already have. So um, if you have a $100 and you're given the option of either keeping that $100 or letting go of it for a chance of getting $200 or $300, most people will say, I'll keep my $100. I'm not going to take that chance. And that's just a phenomenon that behavioral scientists have discovered people do, which is not rational in a lot of ways because in rational decision-making oftentimes 
um, it might be better to take that chance, but people won't do that. So that's one aspect of prospect theory. Something else that really matters is in terms of investing is something that my partner, uh, my my book partner, my co-author, uh, Tony Sablon and I write in our book, um, Money Off the Table, is how people tend to care more about uh, paying attention to returns on their investments, like how how much they're making on each investment as opposed to their overall wealth. So they can't really see the big picture. They're just seeing those mm-hmm. immediate rewards, you know, this short-term quick fixes, those immediate rewards that don't really always can add up to as much wealth or as much, um, you know, a reward or benefit as as if you were to look at the bigger picture. And so that's why, you know, you have to have a kind of a, an investment strategy that really considers your returns as one aspect of your overall income or your overall asset. So that's another kind of phenomenon. Um, I don't know. I could go on. Sometimes we think like like outcomes that are very, very highly likely. We suddenly believe they're 100% likely. We don't really account for the fact that there's a small percent chance that that, that outcome may not happen and we don't prepare for that. Or outcomes that are very you know, highly unlikely, we tend to think, well, that's never going to happen. Um, for instance, three years ago, two years ago, I don't remember how long COVID has been going on now. It all feels like one long nightmare, but, uh, you know, if somebody told me, oh, you know, a global pandemic is going to take down the market, you could lose all your money. I would say, oh, there's such a low chance it'll never happen, but it can happen. Like the, you know, a, a 1% chance is not a, a 0% chance. So we have to, again, like in investing, have an offensive and defensive investment strategy, one that's correlated to the market, and then also investments that aren't just to prepare ourselves for that 0.5% chance that something could go wrong. Yeah, that was such a great explanation. And I think it's you know so important for people to take a holistic view of their investment strategy and their wealth and kind of, as you said, be aware of the biases and also the risks and returns of what they're actually getting into and, and understand what's going on. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been such a great conversation and I really appreciate you sharing your story and your expertise. Where can people find you? Yeah, thank you. Um, they can find me at yournextdecision.com. And at that website, you can see where to follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.